The problem is, is that we've been saved for so long, we've known Christ and we've walked with him for so long that we, we have forgotten not only what we used to be, but check it out. We've forgotten that on a daily basis, we need his grace and we need his mercy. This is Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. We're in a study of the Old Testament prophet Jonah. Now, a prophet was to be a message bearer for God, to warn God's people of any sinful detraction from his will, or to lead them to move in a particular direction. God's message for Jonah, however, was to warn a very godless people, the Ninevites, of their need to repent of their ways and turn to God and seek his grace and mercy. But because they were very evil and ruthless, Jonah didn't want to deliver that message. He wanted them to suffer God's wrath. But that wasn't God's plan. Jonah refused to obey God in this matter, and God had a lesson to teach Jonah. The lesson was that God will accomplish his intentions either through our obedience or our disobedience. And as we're seeing in the life of Jonah, it's always best to be on the positive, obedient side of God. If you're familiar with the story of Jonah, the prophet's self-righteous disobedience caused danger to the crew of a ship. Jonah was on that ship in his attempt to flee from God. God caused a great storm, threatening certain peril for all on board. The only way for the seas to calm was to throw disobedient Jonah overboard, which the crew hesitated to do but found no other choice. We'll pick up the story there. Our text is Jonah chapter 1, verses 17 through chapter 2, verse 9. By the way, this is all part of Crawford's series, God's Severe Mercy, Lessons from the Life of Jonah. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. Well, today I want to talk about the title of the message is Broken and Delivered. A little silly observation. I say it that way because brokenness always precedes deliverance. I want to back up a little bit and talk a little bit about uh, Jonah's problem before we get into the passage here. And Jonah's problem, as you read this book, and even as you get to chapter 4, unfortunately, uh, Jonah has a meltdown in chapter 4 because he never really gets rid, never really gets rid of this self-righteous stubbornness. And God has, to, God has to break him in order for him to do what God called him to do. I want to make a few observations about stubbornness. Five observations. Number one is this. It's okay to have a strong will as long as the strength of that will is fueled by responsiveness to God. Second observation is this, is that stubbornness is the expression of an imprisoned will. Stubborn people are not free. Stubborn people are not objective. They're locked in. And so their will is imprisoned. It, it, it looks at what they want to do and what they believe. In fact, the third observation is that stubborn people are fixated on, on what they want or believe and not necessarily on what is right. And sometimes we confuse stubborn people with people who are persevering. Uh, perseverance and stubbornness are not necessarily the same thing. Stubborn people just get fixated. They've made up their mind. Uh, they will ignore what, what is right because they really believe this. They've chosen to believe this, and their will has gotten locked in. And number four, stubborn people in that regard refuse to respond to reality and truth. And that's Jonah's problem. As you read the first, the first chapter, he's refusing to respond to reality and truth. It's as if God says, you, you think you're going to change me? 
You think your will and you stomping your foot and having an adult meltdown and pouting and going in the opposite direction is going to change me? No, it's it's not going to do that. Stubborn people refuse to respond to reality and truth. And then finally, stubbornness focuses on what you want. And perseverance focuses on what God wants. You know, you can be determined, but not stubborn. Uh, Contrast is that of uh, Jonah and the Apostle Paul. Uh, Jonah was determined, but he was determined to resist God. The Apostle Paul, he also was determined, but he was determined to respond to God. So the issue is not, not a strong will. I pray to God that we do have a strong will. The issue is what direction is that will going? Is that will yielded to God? Is it responsive to him? And Jonah was not responsive to him. Well, now we come to chapter, chapter 2, actually the last verse of chapter, chapter 1, verse 17. And once again, this whole saga underscores a deadly flaw in, jo- uh, in Jonah, a flaw in his character, and that it would just take devastating failure for Jonah to face it and change. Our entrenched wills will cause us to pay a price that might even come close to taking our lives. And that is exactly what happens here. So Jonah, Jonah tells him to throw him overboard, well, be careful what you ask for because you might get it. And as soon as they throw him overboard, <laughs> the sea stops. But notice again the mercy of God. Jonah doesn't want to show mercy to the Ninevites, but all along God is showing him mercy, showing him mercy, giving him another opportunity. And when they throw him overboard, what happens? Verse 17 of chapter 1 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God says, no, 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 you're, you're, talking about, you're talking about drowning, you're talking about being killed, and you're talking about, you know, dying. No, 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 no. You don't tell me no, and I'm going to make you do what you said you don't want to do. But I'm going to be merciful to you. I could allow you to drown and die, but I want to be merciful to you. So he pre- prepares this great fish. Well, Jonah's in the belly of this great fish for three days and three nights. And in the belly of this fish, he begins to pray. Now, the prayer here is really a paradox. Uh, Verses one through the first part of verse six of the prayer, uh, Jonah expresses distress, utter distress. Then you come to the second part of verse six all the way through chapter 10, Jonah, Jonah embarks upon the path of deliverance. So there is this Paradox. He, he, he cries, uncle. He cries, uncle, in verses 1 through 6. Then he looks up to God and reaches out and pleads for deliverance. The last part of verse 6 to, to, to verse 10. You know, some of us, uh, well, I'll just say it. Some of us need to be scared straight. And that's exactly what God does to Jonah. He didn't get the message with the, with, 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 the, with the turbulence and the storm and the rocking and rolling and things falling apart. But boy, does he ever get the message, the message here. And, uh, you know, the usual place to learn the greatest secrets of God's grace is at the bottom. Let's face it, most of us came to Jesus because 
we were feeling and tasting the bottom. We were over our heads. We came to the realization that we're not that great. We can't control this. Life is overwhelming. And so we came to that place where we needed God's mercy and grace to step in. And God is bringing Jonah to this place where where he's beginning to feel, feel deeply his own need of the grace and mercy that he refuses to give to the Ninevites. And he's inside the belly of this great fish. Could it be, could it be things are out of control in our lives because we're living in disobedience? And God wants to melt away the self-righteousness. God wants to melt away the posturing. God wants to melt away the resistance. And that's exactly what he's doing in Jonah's, in Jonah's life. Jonah is now willing to, to pray. He wasn't willing to pray before because he's feeling the heat. Now verse two says, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Now that expression, belly of Sheol, what in the world does that mean, the belly of Sheol? Sheol, the word Sheol there, it's a reference to, in the Old Testament, the place of the departed dead. What is Jonah saying here? His fear of death. We don't, we don't feel or hear fear in Jonah up until this point. But right now, Jonah is, oh boy. And then verses three through six, we see this downward progression that gives us insight into the distress. One, he's drowning. Number two, he's driven, driven away. And number three, he's almost dead. First of all, he's drowning. Verse three says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. I mean, he, he, this, is, this, is the, this is the cry of someone who is totally out of control. He can't control his environment. He can't control his faith. He can't control where he's going. He is drowning. He is drowning. You know, and although the sailors cast him into the sea, God was behind their actions. God was behind the actions of those sailors. No, throw him overboard. Put him in my hands. He's telling me what he won't do. He's telling me what, 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 that, that he's not going to respond to me. Put him in my hands. And they throw him overboard. Now, Jonah knew that there was... <laughs> There was, there was no time for him to sit back and coddle his self-righteousness. He knew, he knew that he was right in the midst of the justice that he deserved. He is being driven away. Look at verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. But notice the first line, I, I am driven away from your sight. Now this is curious. This is curious. What's curious about this is that, okay, you're, 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 you're getting what you asked for. You wanted to run from the very presence of the Lord. You wanted to take control of your life, and you wanted to get in a boat 
going in the opposite direction that God called you to go, and you call God, uh-uh, ain't doing it, no way, no time, no how, this, and uh, you're a good God, a gracious God, a merciful God, I'm not doing what you're gonna tell me to do, and I'm running from your presence. And God says, okay, you wanna know what it feels like to be away from my presence? Do you wanna know what it feels like for me to take my hand off your life? Do you want to know what it feels like for me to suspend my, my protection over you? Well, now Jonah had come to grips with what it really feels like to be away from the presence of the Lord. So he's drowning, he's driven away, but now he's almost dead. You see the distress that he's in, he, he's out of control. What am I gonna do with all this water? I'm in the belly of this fish. Things are out of control. I'm driven away, and he's almost, almost dead. Verse five says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. He's describing what it feels like inside the belly of this great fish. You, you, you won't do what I want you to do? You have the audacity to, to resist me? I called you as a prophet, as my mouthpiece. Inherent in that calling is that I tell you where to go and I tell you what to say and you say yes. But you've been telling me no and you've been resisting my grace and my mercy? You demanded to be thrown overboard? You got your wish. How does it feel? Listen, I know that I'm being strong here, but I, I just really need to underscore to all of us. Disobedience to God is not a good thing. Have we all been disobedient? Yes. Has there ever been a Christian that has been perfectly obedient? No. We need to cultivate immediate response to the Lord and never, ever, ever get to the place where you begin to redefine God's grace and mercy and use it as personal entitlement. Now Jonah's in a bad place. But then he pivots a bit, this, this prayer changes because the lights begin to come on in Jonah's mind. He, he begins to realize a few things and his eyes, the eyes of his soul, they're opened. It's almost as if he goes, what, what, what am I, what, what if I'm, what, what am I doing? Why didn't I do what he told me to do? And then he cries out to God and he turns the corner and he begins to articulate one, one is his, his distress, but now he begins to focus on his deliverance and who's gonna do it. And there are three elements in this deliverance. What happens to him as his eyes are open? Number one, he remembers. What does he remember? Look at verse six, the last part of verse six. He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought me my life, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Often the pit, the pit is a reference to the grave. When my life was fainting away, here you have it, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. What did he remember? He remembered the Lord, the covenant name, Yahweh. He remembered the Lord. 
And his prayer came to him, his prayer came to him in his holy temple. Now you remember up in chapter, up in verse four, he says, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. A little ancillary insight here. What was in the holy temple? Well, what was in the temple was the mercy seat, according to Exodus chapter 25, verse 22. And on the day of atonement every year, the priest would go in and he would slay the sacrificial offering and he would take the blood and sprinkle it over the mercy seat, the mercy seat, symbolizing that for another year the sins of Israel had been covered. They had been atoned for. So what is, what is Jonah saying here? What I think Jonah is saying here when he's talking about going back to the holy temple, I think what he's saying is that his sins need to be covered. I know it's in the holy temple. My sins need to be covered. He's also saying that I'm in desperate need of forgiveness. We hadn't seen humility in him up until this moment. He said, but I know it's in your holy temple. It's a mercy seat. I need my sins covered. And I need to be forgiven. And by the way, you only begin to appreciate grace and mercy when you remember your own profound need for grace and mercy. People are not gracious and people are not merciful who don't perceive their need for both. And Jonah is, it is there. He's there. So he remembered Secondly, on this path to deliverance, he, he saw his need for grace and mercy, as I said. There are two implications here in verse 8. Notice he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Now, what, why does he talk about that? What is he, what is, what's in reference to vain idols? I think what he's saying is that you are the true and living God. You are the true and living God. Two implications is, is that, number one, no lifeless idol can, can provide grace and mercy. Not, no lifeless idol. I, in other words, he said, I, 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 don't, I don't have any else, but no, no, nowhere else to go. You are the source of grace and mercy. Not for the Ninevites, but for me. I need to experience what you're telling me to give to them. So first of all, it implies that, that no lifeless idol can pr- provide grace and mercy. Then secondly, no lifeless idol can ever be the source of hope and deliverance. Only you. Now, he uses, he uses a Hebrew word that's used throughout the Old Testament, a sweet word. Uh, uh, um, and he says, uh, they, they, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. The, ex- the, the expression steadfast love comes with the Hebrew word chesed. Chesed, I believe that's how you pronounce it. And, 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 and it's, it's a word that really is in reference to grace and mercy. Your steadfast love. It's interesting that this self-righteous prophet had not uttered those words up until now. Why? Because he's not talking about the other. He's perceiving his own need right now. So what happens to Jonah? This path to deliverance, he, re, he, he remembered the holy temple. He saw his need for grace and mercy, but thirdly, he turned to the source of deliverance. He turned to him. 
See, what set Jonah up to be used by God once God would deliver him from this great fish was that he, he, he experienced that deliverance and it turned him toward walking toward Nineveh because he, he couldn't forget what God did for him. Listen to what he says here in verse 9. He says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Again, sweet humility. Hadn't heard much of that before. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. And then this wonderful, marvelous line, salvation belongs to the Lord. And it's as if God's saying, that's, that, that's it, I've been waiting for you to say that, that's it. That's it, I've been waiting for you to say that. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And what, what he's saying by that is, is also that, no, sal- no, Jonah, you don't determine who I save. I'm God, I'm sovereign, I do what I want. And salvation is my business. But he's also saying salvation belongs to the Lord in the sense that no one can deliver but you. Well, it was at that moment, God turned the GPS on in this big fish. He said, take him over there. I'm going to give you some indigestion. Throw him up on dry land. And that's exactly what happened. What does God have to do in order to get you and to get to me to do what he wants us to do. Why does God have to constantly prove that he's loving and merciful to me? Our first response to our great God is always yes. Jonah chapter 2 verse 9 is a verse for you if you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus. Salvation is of the Lord and he offers it freely. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's what Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, and he offers that salvation to you. And Jesus Christ has died for us so that we might live. Will you open your heart to him? All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I turn from my sin, and I trust you as my Savior and Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, O God, for your pursuit, all that you have gone through to get Jonah's attention and all you go through to get our attention. Oh God, oh God, may we not grieve you. May we learn to respond to you. May we we always keep in sight how tender and merciful and kind and gracious you have been to us. Father, Father, forgive us for telling you no, either by words or our actions or sometimes both. Work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, a powerful reminder that it's never a good idea to run from the requests of God. Broken and Delivered, the title of today's message. This is all part of Crawford's latest series called God's Severe Mercy. Next week, Crawford talks about Jonah's repentance and recommissioning, and hope you'll be right back here with us. It's never too late to join us in our Jonah series. If you'd like to get caught up, catch all previous messages on our website stream at livingalegacy.org. Look for the past programs link. Or to have the series on your audio player for a more thorough study, download the messages for free. Look for the MP3 link at livingalegacy.org. 
Thanks for your emails. It's a great encouragement to know that you're growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ through this time together each week. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.